All right, soccer freaks. This is ATL on Fire, the podcast. We're going to be talking all things Atlanta United Football Club. So sit back, buckle up, and enjoy. Hey everybody, welcome back. It is another ATL on Fire show. Dave, back from soccer practice, and uh, we're only one game behind. We're really on on top of these podcasts. Yep. Um, (laughs) And uh, we both made it to the Orlando game on Friday, but I think we want to uh, get into the U.S. men's national team performance before we gloat about our win right. against uh, Kine Su Padre, the Padre is Joseph Martinez, Orlando. And uh, the U.S. men's national team. So, yeah, let's go Let's go back. And instead of gloating about winning and excitement, let's, let's bring ourselves down a notch and talk about the U.S. <laughs> men's national team performance. Okay, well, first we got to talk about the wine. Oh, we do have to talk about the wine. So I brought the Joel uh, Joel Gart Cabernet in honor of our section, which I believe was serving the Joel Gart Cabernet. I mean, that's how fancy we yeah. are, Mikey Dobbs. Can I, you believe that? I will say the the wine and the beer selection in the box is not too shabby. I mean, I think the wine got a serious upgrade because, like, it was like for a while it was like Sutter Home or some stuff. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I was like not going there. Um, but man, there were a couple of there was a Menashe Gold uh, White wine, and then there was a Joel Got Cabernet. I was like, "What's going on, Mercedes Benz?" Yeah. So in our in our section, they they moved us to an all you can eat, all you can drink. With the, our section is like 200 people, right? Do you think they did that just for you and me, Mike Adobe? I think they know. Well, well I was happy. They've got <laughs> a couple of my favorite beers. They've got Corona and they've got Heineken. And if you want to go for a nice IPA, there's Hopsecutioner, which is will put you on your butt. But Right. Um, and then they have the Five Stripes beer, which is, uh, is brewed by, um, whatchamacallit, in Asheville. Um, so... We'll get to the awesome Friday night that we had at the Benz. Um, but going back, what, two weeks ago it was a Wednesday night. We played El Salvador down in El Salvador. Correct. U.S. men's national team first World Cup qualifier game. We are now three in, and we started that game with a lackluster 0-0. And I know the, the pundits want to talk about how hard it is to go on the road and CONCACAF and get a win. Yep. But this is a different U.S. men's national team, right? Isn't I agree. This, this is this is um, one of the most, if not the most, talented U.S. national team um, we've ever had. And so it's, it's been a little while. It's been, what, two weeks since that game happened or so? Yeah. Um, I had some people on the back deck. I did some chicken wings on the big green egg. Very nice. The only thing I will say was a little late, right? The game started at 10. <laughs> yeah. and, uh, well, that's, I mean, in fairness, I mean, it's, it's a Central America, so that's, you know, yeah. it's hard to have it be. But I didn't have any TV problems. Everything played, <laughs> so that was good, and was able to watch the game. Very nice, Mikey Dobbs. Um, 
really disappointed though with uh, the end result of that game with the zero zero tie. Uh, we came out, if I recall, pretty strong the first 10 minutes and put some pressure mm-hmm. on and looked good. And really, if I recall, I don't remember much after that that was very exciting. Well, so the, the lineup that they put out, so Pulisic was not available because um, of uh, COVID. He tested positive. He was vaccinated, but he had a breakthrough infection. And he... Um, <clears throat> he uh, Never had any symptoms or anything, but they're obviously testing all the time in the Premier League, mm-hmm. and he tested positive. So he had to quarantine. He wasn't even allowed to train with the team. So I, yeah. I think, you know, some people said, oh, why isn't Pulisic there in El Salvador? But um, it, it was just not allowed to be. He wasn't even available for selection. So you can't blame the coach for that. But we still had a pretty star-studded starting lineup, right? In the yeah, I mean, so uh, the, he played all of the Western, all of the European stars, right? So obviously, Gio Reyna of Borussia Dortmund, uh, Weston McKinney of Juventus, <coughs> Tyler Adams of uh, Leipzig, um, Brendan Aronson of Salzburg um, got a start, Josh Sargent, who just moved to Norwich. Um, Canaries Yeah Sergio Dest um, Barcelona Um, Diego Yedlin Who now is plying his trade In Turkey Um, And then the uh, The MLS Back to Tim Ream Miles Robinson And Turner in goal Oh and also uh, Conrad De La Fuente What about uh, Wasn't Brooks in that game as well No Brooks did not That was the surprise Brooks um, John Brooks um, didn't start, um, and if we, you know, if we uh, preview a little bit the later game, um, he was awful when he did start. <laughs> um, but so- anyway, so you know, we came out, you know, with a, the young, you know, team, and you might say, well, okay, one of the problems with that team on the road in Concacaf is that um, I think I think what they said was only two players had any qualifying experience whatsoever. I know Yedlin has been in a qualifier, and it must have been Tim Ream has qualifying experience, but even Tim Ream hasn't played in much. So you have DeAndre Yedlin was the only guy. <laughs> so they brought all the young guns or whatever, but zero experience. So what do you think of that? Uh, I don't mind the not experience part. I mean, it's particularly with those guys having European experience across the board. But, you know, I think that's where it shows it's a different type of experience when it's CONCACAFI. Well, uh, not the other thing is not just no experience, but not a one of them is over 23. Yeah. Josh Sargent, Gio Reyna, Conrad De La Fuente, Brendan Aronson, Tyler Adams, Weston McKenney, Sergio Dest, uh, all under 23. So what's it, what are you saying? We should have had Altidore in there? No, Altador wasn't even available. He was. <laughs> I'm just wondering. I'm wondering what your solutions are here to add a little more seniority into the lineup, if that's where you're going. Well, you yeah, know, I actually have no problem. Actually, I was, I was gonna, I was trying to bait you into saying you had a problem, but I, I don't, don't really know. have a problem with that. I'm like, yeah, the young players are super talented. Uh, why not go with them? You could have said um, Kellen Acosta. Has a little bit more yeah. experience, but even him, it's not like he's got buckets of experience. So uh, I don't have a problem with the experience. Yeah, I like a little bit of the ignorance is bliss type of thing. Go down there and win, 
And that's what aggravated me is that we didn't get the result. I'd, I'd rather go down there with this little bit of the attitude that you heard from some of the players and they didn't deliver. Um, and that's what bothers me. So, um, you know, between games one and two, I think game one, you can argue. So, so, um, the width was supposed to come from Gio Reyna, Conrad De La Fuente, both sort of wingers. Gio Reyna is not a classic winger. Conrad De La Fuente is a winger. Um, Sergio Dest overlapping, Diego, uh, DeAndre Yedling overlapping. Um, but obviously in the second game... Yedlin did not look good. Yedlin didn't look right. No, I agree. Uh, I didn't think De La Fuente looked all that great. He plays in the French Lagoon, right? He just got moved. Um, did he move to France or did he move to within a Spain? I'm not sure. I don't know. Because I didn't know much about him. Um, so he he came through the Barcelona system and actually was on the bench all last season at Barcelona and made a couple of appearances yeah. off the bench for Barcelona. Uh, and then they sold him. Um, but I'm trying to remember. I don't remember. I have to look up where they sold him to. I thought Gio Reyna had a couple little moments of, of creativity. Uh, My, our Miles Robinson, I thought throughout the – you know, the first three games was probably again one of our most consistent players. Um, Miles Robinson was absolutely terrific. Um, yeah. Without him, the team probably would have imploded in yeah. all three games. Yeah. <laughs> so, um, so we he, got that going for ourselves, you know. Yeah, um, he was he was good, but um, you know, actually, if you compare it to the second game, right? So, the second game, Pulisic comes back in. Um, but in the second game, you know, you have a midfield of Acosta, Adams, and Sebastian Leggett. Um, you still have Sergio Dest uh, and the other Robinson as the outside backs who are, I guess, supposed to give you a little overlapping. Maybe Brendan Aronson and Pulisic are supposed to be wide. But if you look at our team in the first game, and in particular in the second game against Canada, absolutely zero width. Right. Um, so Pulisic, Leggett, Kellen Acosta, Tyler Adams, Brendan Aronson, they were all running into each other because they were so close. There was nobody opening it up out wide. Well, one of those fields, and I can't remember which one it was, was uh, not too different than New York nah. FC's field. It was you pre- mean on the road? Because Nashville is not It was pretty small. narrow. I don't know if it was El Salvador or Honduras. One of the fields was pretty damn narrow. I don't. I can't recall. I think it... Was the first game was narrow probably, El Salvador? El Salvador. Um, but I didn't get the feeling it was terrible. No, I, there, El Salvador, I remember the the pitch looked relatively reasonable. Um, In Honduras, there was the field with the track around it, so I yeah. think it was... Honduras' field really looked yeah. respectable, I think. Yeah. So it must have been El Salvador's. Mm-hmm. And Serginho Des, though, I don't think looked particularly good in either of the first two games. I don't think he played in the last game against Honduras. No, he got hurt, and uh, I think he got pulled off in the Canada game um, after not very long. So the problem is, in the Canada game, you pull off Sergio Dest, and all of a sudden you're like, where is any width coming from? And it showed. Um, So Pulisic was double and triple teamed the whole time. Um, There was nowhere to go through. Yeah, I mean, it was really, really tight. Um, so, and, uh, here's, here's, here's my rub. Here's my rant. Um, 
here's the solution to all our podcast arguments uh, <laughs> forever. Um, so we go down to Honduras, right? So obviously two disappointing draws. Canada is a decent team, but they were at home. Um, you know, El Salvador is not a great team. You got to figure that we would expect to at least win one, if not both. Right. Uh, we get two ties. We desperately need of a win. And what does he do at Honduras? Do you realize what he did at Honduras? No, tell me. <laughs> what was the lineup that offended you so? Or the formation of the lineup? Dear podcast listeners, um, we played six in the back at Honduras. Okay. Six in the back, okay? So we played three center backs, Robinson, Brooks, uh, McKenzie. We played Bello and Tyler Adams as winger, although Kellen Acosta was sort of sitting in as a right back as well. Maybe you could argue we played only five, but a lot of times it looked almost like six, right? And I... Th- he was just sitting super deep the whole time. Yeah, I mean, so Jeff Sands was also sitting as a defensive midfielder. Kellen Acosta was sitting. Um, Tyler Adams and Bella were supposed to be going forward. Bella was super far up the field, wasn't defending at all. So when I say we were playing six, you know, Bella was sort of playing as a winger, but that left a huge gap on the left side. I mean, we were so at sixes and sevens tactically, right? And I think the whole thing was because... We had absolutely no width in the first two games, and he was determined to get width. So he's like, look, I'm going to bring on wingers. Okay, well, the U.S. soccer team doesn't have wingers. Okay, this is our weakness, right? So maybe you'd argue Gio Reyna. Pulisic sometimes is out there, but they're not out-and-out wingers. They're kind of guys who play in the spaces. They're a little bit like a, a, a Moreno. Bella's not a winger? Um, Bellows in an overlapping back. So he could be a winger. Okay. He absolutely could be a winger. And that's what he tried to do. He's like, okay, Bello, go be a winger. But Bello was being a winger and not defending at all. Um, and because if you have playing three in the back and you're playing with a wing back and the wing back is forward all the time and not defending at all, it just leaves a gap in behind because um, McKenzie's not going to go out there and be the left back. Right, he's just not used to being out there isolated like that. So it was wide open. Both the diagonals behind were wide open. Now Tyler Adams was actually getting up and getting back because he's just a phenomenal player. Um, but all of that, so he didn't have a right wing back, right? So he plays. He takes our best player from the first two games, the two defensive midfielders, and he moves them to right back to wing back. Now the guy is a amazing player and he has played right back for uh, Leipzig but why in the world would you take away the guy who's been single-handedly winning the midfield and move him to right back leaving Jeff Sands who was appalling I mean just appalling but he was a on an island he was playing the Sosa role on an island and he was just appalling he wasn't great in the gold cup either No, he was not great in the Gold Cup. So now you have three center backs. Nobody knows who's responsible. John Brooks was trying to get out every time and take, you know, he had his solution was John Brooks was supposed to come up and join Jeff Sands. And then McKenzie and Robinson were supposed to pinch in. And Tyler Adams was supposed to be up and back. And Bella was supposed to be a winger and then getting back, whatever. Everybody was in, like, one spot plus you half cover another guy. And it was all to try and get some width in the game. 
right? And they had no freaking clue how to do it. It was shambolic. It was probably the worst I have seen the U.S. soccer team play in the last five, ten years. And we were absolutely lucky to get out of the first half down one nothing. We should have been down three nothing at Honduras. Yeah, I was at Silverbacks Park at Willie B's watching it, left at halftime. And uh, when I got home, I just happened to flip open the Chromebook to watch <laughs> the second half. It was 1-1 uh, when I turned it on. And then from there, it was it was a completely different game. So, I, uh, to, you know, so, so here's a problem that the U.S. soccer has, right? So he was a little bit forced his hand because you've got to say he's thinking that Pulisic and Gio Reyna are going to kind of be wingers, but they're not really wingers. He tried to play Conrad de la Fuente, who clearly is a winger, can go at players, but is not sophisticated, is not such a great defensive player. Um, he didn't have a great left back behind him in the first game. Um, so it was all sixes and sevens. He tried to get width, and there was no width, and then his hand was forced because Gio Reyna was hurt. Um, and... It didn't go well. We had no width in the Canada game, and then he tried to force width in the la- in the third game by playing. He went from we've been playing four in the back every game, Gold Cup, um, first two qualifiers, right in the Nations Cup, right, and all of a sudden on the road, in order to get width, you're going to try and now play five in the back for the first time when you haven't been playing that. I mean, it's just completely overthinking it. And I know we got a problem because we don't have width, but that's a problem that needs to be addressed that, you know, somebody's got to play out wide. You have to have a system that can take advantage of that. So it's either got to be outside backs overlapping or you got to figure out who the winger is. Um, But regardless, you cannot just say we're going to suddenly play five and half. You're going to, you're going to play half back, half, whatever. I mean, it was so terrible. I mean, tactically, I thought we were the worst I have seen in a very long time. So what did we do to change things? Well, the only consolation prize is Burhalter must have seen, yes, it was absolutely terrible. He makes three subs at halftime, and then he made an additional sub, um, which I think was a little forced because Pulisic got hurt, but he made an additional sub uh, 15 minutes or so into the second half. So we made four subs between the 45th minute and the 60th minute. So talk about a coach hitting the panic button. And the only reason why he could change the formation is you now have five subs. If he had had three subs and he did that shambolic tactically like he did, he couldn't have changed the formation because you can't change the formation with two subs. You can't make all three subs at halftime because then you have no subs if somebody gets hurt like Pulisic did. Right. So the only saving grace was that he had five subs due to COVID. Thank you, COVID, for Burhalter. The world finally, COVID finally did something positive. Right. Yeah. COVID is a horrible thing, people, but it finally did <laughs> yes. something positive. Five subs. Are we it gonna, bailed out Burhalter. Are we going to stay on five subs for everything? I don't know. But let me just finish the thought. So, so he switched to four in the back. Right. We went back to the system that we want. He moved Tyler Adams from right back into defensive midfield, right? And we just annihilated Honduras. I mean, we scored four goals so quickly, you wouldn't believe, yeah. right? Um, and we could have scored seven. We could have given up seven in the first half. We could have scored seven in the second half. And so my my take on this is, I don't know what the heck Burhalter is thinking, but I'm going to make an argument that it, 
partially solves this argument that we've been having that tactics matter so much. I mean, it was so night and day between the first half and the second half. Well, yeah, I agree. Um, but when you say tactics, do you just mean changing the formation or changing which players come in? Well, it changed the formation mostly, and then it allowed a couple players to go back to where they were naturally yeah. more, more. I, I, you know, but the tactic tactics is formation, but it's also about, um, you know, balance. But it's also about anything that will allow your players to be where they where they thrive. And so, for example, regardless of why he played five in the back or six in the back, right? any formation that required Tyler Adams to leave the midfield and go back to right back and forced us to play a weaker defensive midfielder in Sands was shambolic because, you know, Sands was, you know, one-eighth the player that Tyler Adams is. Yeah. So you were going to bring this full circle, if I'm not mistaken, back to the MLS or to Atlanta United. Am I wrong on that? Yeah, I'm going to answer your question first about five subs. I really thought the five subs were going to disappear, and it's still possible. You know, we're still in the COVID pandemic, and maybe that'll go. But it seems more and more like people are like, oh, we like it. I kind of like it. I I don't have uh, – I like it because it it does seem to – offer a little bit more flexibility for the coach to be strategic with the way he wants to bring in players. And I don't think it slows the game down very much. So I, I, I'm a fan of it. I think it depends. Some of the coaches who I think are doing it right, if you're doing it right, then you should be making a sub, maybe even two subs at halftime, right? With five subs, you should not be playing the standard, you know, we're going to make our first sub at the 70th minute. It just makes no sense. You're just saying just strictly from le- a leg standpoint. Yeah, right. Why not take advantage of, of having freshness and having different things? Forget even tactics, but just have That can having... backfire. That can also backfire on you. Maybe. Um, you know, I mean, obviously, if it's going great, you can, you know, sit Maybe. with it for a little while. But many of the coaches are still coaching it like, like you would with just three subs. And then I do think, you know... When, when both teams use five subs in the last 20 minutes, it's 10 subs coming on in 20 minutes, and it is disruptive, yeah. in my opinion. Okay. So what I would argue, if they're going to stay to five subs, and I, I think I might be against the five subs, but even I'm not hugely against it, maybe slightly against it. If they are going to stay with the five subs, I would be in favor of some kind of restriction where um, you could only make like three subs in the last, you know, 20 minutes or something. You know, so you don't have to do sub earlier. You can use all five subs, but to, in order to use five subs, you have to have used two before X minute. Interesting. I don't know. I don't like too many caveats with stuff like that. Just, And I only say that because I do think that um, it gets to be fairly disruptive yeah, um, at the end of the game, if you want to play the stall tactics. I guess. Yeah, and these but teams that are soccer, up a goal. They, they'll find a way to stall no matter what. I mean, yeah. come on. Somebody's going to be laying around. You don't want to make it somebody's easier. Somebody's going to be laying around, flailing They're going to do that anyway, so why make it easier? cramped up. <laughs> so what's a little substitution? It actually gives a reason to sub the guy off who's cramping up. So, yeah, maybe. Because that's what happens in the 86th minute every time. you got people rolling around cramped up. Sure. Give them a body bag, roll them off the field. Put them in a body bag, Johnny. You have to. See, now that's what I would prefer is like these guys who cramp up at the end of the game, 
Like you, you know, it, it's clear that it's a cramp, right? It's not like he's injured, right? So you drag his ass off the field, and then you're like, okay, we got to play a man down, or you sub him. So that's a good reason to have five subs, which is legit because I I know how it feels when you cramp up. It, it's legitimate, but that means you're done. Get a sub. <laughs> I agree. All right. So we can talk now about Atlanta United versus Orlando, and I would like eventually to bring it full circle because I think U.S. national team is a metaphor for a problem that Pineda may be facing. All right. All right. Um, well, let's let's start with a crisp, cool Friday night in Atlanta. Mercedes-Benz mm-hmm. up against our rivals, Orlando City. Seven o'clock. Is Orlando City really our rival still, though? Well, apparently not <laughs> anymore. So not after Friday night. Okay. It started to balance out after 2020 and um, them coming back and beating us earlier in the season, three to two. So, but I even mean geographically, like Nashville's a lot closer. Oh, no, yeah. I mean, Orlando is a fake city anyway, so they are definitely no it's one. Just they're Disney pretty World. much no one's rival. They're just. <laughs> I have to agree with that. I think we should switch our focus to Nashville. That's a real city. Yeah, I, well, I agree. I think Nashville, or who's the next expansion team, Asheville? No, it's Charlotte. Charlotte, sorry. I knew it was one of those Carolinian. Mm-hmm. Uh, all right. So Yeah, so we can definitely rival Charlotte and Nashville, yeah. and we can just ignore, we just call Orlando the noisy neighbors. Yeah, and then, <laughs> then you let... Mike... You know that story? No. <laughs> so, so Man City, believe it or not, for those of you who are... It's hard to imagine now, but before Man City got investment from um, the Middle East, Man City was not a big club. And, um, in fact, Man City had done this crazy I thing. I still don't think of Man City as a big club. Not because of when like my heyday in soccer, Right, I still think there's just they're, they're kind of the, the new money team. They had gone through a series where they had gone five consecutive seasons without staying in the same division. They got relegated relegated again, promoted, and then promoted again, <laughs> right? which is pretty crazy. Uh, but anyway, they finally got promoted back again to the Premier League, and Alex Ferguson, Manchester United, was asked, you know, now they have Middle Eastern investments, they have investors, they are owners, they have all kinds of money, you know, is it going to be a rival? And he said, what, you mean the noisy neighbors? <laughs> so Orlando City is just our noisy neighbors. Yeah. And, 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 now, and now they can just... Focus on Miami as being there. Focus back Miami. on Mickey Mouse yeah. and, you yeah. know, and Miami, your rivalry. See, now this is when I was, like, really into the Premier League back in the early 90s. Do you know that um, MLS started, I believe, with three Florida franchises? Then they yeah. went down to zero. They all folded. And now they're back to two. Really? Yeah. I didn't know that. ML- yeah. That's ATL on fire trivia stuff. <laughs> they, yeah, there was originally three. Uh, there was... You know, Miami, and then there was, it was Fort Lauderdale, and was it Tampa? Tampa? Yeah, it probably it Tampa. Tampa. Yeah. It was so crazy, and then and then they all folded, and then they brought back Orlando, of all things, and now yeah. they've brought back Miami. Interesting. Interesting. Yeah, what do you think of this uh, old Arsenal jersey? This has been Den- freaking great. Dennis Burkamp used to play on this team. Does anybody even know what JVC is? Pro- I know, probably I know what not. It is. It, it's a... Uh, Electronics manufacturer. Yeah, they made cassette tapes. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> cassette tapes, kids, were these plastic uh, things that had tape in it. 
that yeah. he- held your music. And you could make these things called mixtapes right. and give them to your girlfriend. Oh, it was right. awesome. Oh, that revolutionized everything. That's why it was better than the record, even though the record has way better sound quality. Yeah. But you can make mixtapes to make yourself a middle school legend. Yeah, big time. Um, <laughs> so, yeah, Friday night was awesome. Yep. Um, we... Like we like we said, they serve great wine in our box. But more than anything, Dave, as you as you evaluated where our seats should be at Mercedes Benz, I just want to commend you again for picking seats that really at, at midfield can give us really a great run of play. Right, kind of in the the level two section, you really get a good sense of how people are working off the ball. Yeah. Um, do you think this is our most complete game thus far this season? Absolutely. Yeah. I, I still um, feel like we could have done better. Um, well, let's start with the beginning of the game, which is the TIFO. Oh, yeah. Great I mean, TIFO. if we're going to evaluate the whole game, we got to start at the beginning with the TIFO. The TIFO. What did you think of the TIFO? Uh, your father has something to say. <laughs> I thought that was great. It was, so for, for those of you who didn't see it, it was... Uh, it was a TIFO of Joseph Martinez, who was wearing the same jersey you're wearing now, right. Dave. The new five-star. Um, uh, staring down a lion and uh, <laughs> basically saying in Spanish, uh, your father has something to say. So I thought that was pretty si, awesome. Si, muy bien. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> and, Take that, Orlando. Who's your daddy? And I guess uh, Joseph must have been chuckling from either – Flying back from El Salvador, or not, not El Salvador, Venezuela, no. or is he still down there? What's the deal with... Uh, no, he's back. He's back. So, I think he's probably even back for the game. He just wasn't available. So will he be available for Cincinnati? I believe so, yes. Good. Okay, well, we're going to get to how we get him back in the You might even say he laughed out loud, Mikey Dobbs. Am I yeah, to I'm, say sure, <laughs> I'm sure. I'm surprised we did not see anything on Instagram or Twitter or one of yeah, those, one of those sites. But, uh, yeah, I thought it was an awesome win when we are down Joseph Martinez, down Ronald Hernandez, who are down in Venezuela. We are yep. down Miles Robinson, who's being the backbone of the U.S. US men's national team. We called team. it. We only have a, a, a half-fit George Bellow. At least, you know, we, we got to see some playing time from him on Friday night, but he, he played 45 minutes against Honduras, so... You didn't want to necessarily give him uh, a start. So, you know, essentially down four players, uh, but still right. looked absolutely frightening if you're other MLS teams. There's something happening in Atlanta. It might be Araujo nutmegging people. <laughs> it might be Joseto, who's finally starting to play a little bit like you were hoping he would. I don't know. There's just a lot of uh, a lot of good signals happening. Barco, Barcolito, finally... Uh, making some things happen, forcing an own goal, getting his own goal. Um, and yeah, I mean. A young George Campbell who's proven we've got depth and center back. I mean, there's a lot of fun stuff that I feel you can can take away. And I've always been a George Campbell fan. I've been nothing but kind of like really interested in what, what he can develop into. And yep. so you almost feel like is this Miles Robinson? And I know I'm way, ahead, way over my skis right now, but is this somebody who could be the next Miles Robinson two years, three years from now? Sure. Because he's only, what, 1920? Yeah, yeah, yeah. He's a, He came through the... Uh, um, the youth system he's a homegrown, for Atlanta. He's a homegrown player yeah. and uh, I don't think he might be 20 now but um, yeah no 
He is not old, and um, he's occasionally struggled reading it in the back three, but he's big, he's physical, um, he's good on the ball, um, he's very good one-on-one defender, and I actually think that he can read the game yeah. a little bit. But that was your complaint about Miles Robinson two, two and a half years ago, is that he yep. wasn't doing a great job of reading the game. Now he's reading the game. Yeah, much better. And, and I always felt like he could, and he was such a one-on-one amazing defender i thought he could read the game i always said that he thought yeah. i thought if there was ever a little bit of weakness that was it the one who couldn't read the game was lgp yeah um yeah. but anyway yeah um, i mean well lgp i don't know i felt like he could read the game at times and then well yeah he, he w- he's just a hot he was a hothead well he read the game he was super aggressive everything was forward he would get lost when the ball was over his head. He, he was terrible at reading balls over his head, right. um, and he was terrible about recovering. But, you know, he's gone. So Right, but when the play was in front of him, LGP yep. did a pretty yep. solid okay. job. Yeah, And, uh, yeah, I mean, what a, what a fun game. So I, we, we scored in, I think, the 25th minute uh, when things started to – Reach that point, I always say, when you're dominating, if you don't score by the 20th minute, that it's a little bit of... As someone who plays soccer, it gets worrisome. When danger, you, yeah. Danger that you, if you're not getting the job done and you can't put it away early, that uh, it, there's something that just tends to happen in soccer where the momentum shifts. But luckily, in the 25th minute, it was still a little slow. We had a corner kick. Uh, we played it short. Moreno just kind of lulled. Nani into not closing him down. Well, you know, Orlando was thinking we were taking a regular corner, right? Barco's over there for the corner. Moreno goes right over there. They play short, and nobody's really ready for it. Nobody really seemed worried about it because we didn't have anybody in the box. No one's in the box. And Orlando had three players in the box, but they didn't have their whole team set like you normally would on a corner. And um, so when Moreno was outside wide a little bit, above the 18 yard box maybe at about the 20 yards he whips in a ball and campbell comes flying through diving header there's three defenders there but um none of them you know normally on a corner kick you see all of this wrestling all of this grabbing or whatever and campbell's allowed to just run free and that guy's a really big dude um and so him running free the orlando players had no chance he ran right in between them and he headed it and i have to say that looked to me like uh something that was drawn up on the training ground he said if you can play quick and early you got 2v1 on the outside before they get set let's see if we can get a cross in and then you know, get in the box, Have make the big a guy crash in. And yeah, Joseta was the only, it was basically four Orlando uh, defenders right kind of in the center of the box. And Joseta was the first one to kind of crash the space a little bit, but he kind of jogged in there. And then George Campbell came flying in just kind of in between everyone. And Moreno with his class puts a nice, uh, just well-timed ball right on George's head and, he, d- he does the rest. So full credit to Pineda, although I read in some interviews that he says that um, he designates the assistant coaches to come up with um, corner kicks and set pieces. But it is very clear that he is very concerned about having excellent set pieces. He has someone drilling it. They working on it in training. So, you know, credit to him for that. Um, I didn't seem to see any of that under certainly not under Valentino and I'm not really sure I saw a lot of it under Heinze either. No, yeah, I don't think so either. I, I again 
under Heinze, you would see guys standing over the ball. My my pet peeve is always when there's more than one guy, typically. On free kicks. On free kicks. Mm-hmm. And um, that leads to the second goal, which is one guy over the ball. His name is Barco after Moreno. Yeah, no two standing yeah. over the ball. I like it. After Moreno does a nice job kind of cutting in at the uh, off the sideline, um, a little bit towards the corner of the 18, gets taken down. It was clearly a foul uh, outside the box, um, maybe 14 yards off the touchline and four yards off the, 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 the side of the 18. So Barco's got um, a really nice opportunity to just whip a ball in behind the wall or behind the back line and looking for the, the far post, just put it in the mixer and does just that. No, you know, nobody's competing uh, to take the free kick other than him. And that gives him time to focus on just really just crushing a ball in where anything can happen. And that's exactly what happened. And ping pongs off a couple Orlando players and ends up in the back of the net. Yep. Um, I'm not really sure. I, I felt like they were a bit zonal marking. I'm not really sure whether they were, if they were man to man, it was weak man to man because it wasn't tight. Um, you know, which gets us to us, you know, on the flip side of Pineda, Defensively, when we were marking a corner, we were playing zone, um, which yeah, you know didn't I, make I, me I very know happy. You said yikes during that. Yeah. Yikes! <laughs> um, you know, it's interesting because what what here's where we don't know, right? So Orlando is um, probably the best team in the whole league in the air. They have a couple of huge guys, including DK, but a number of guys. Nani's very good in the air. Um, and they have scored, I believe, the most goals off of set pieces of any team in the MLS this year. So it is interesting that suddenly in the second game of Pineda, and I didn't see it in the first game, that we showed up in a zone. And I'm wondering whether that was specifically countered specifically drawn up to counter the threat that there was a special way of doing it because they didn't think they could match up man-to-man. If that's the case, then, you know, at least I like the thought. Yeah. Um, But we'll see. Only time will tell whether or not on Wednesday night you see defensive marking um, um, that's a zone off a corner kick. So look for it. Do you know, in in general, in the top leagues, how many coaches practice zonal off of corner kicks versus man-to-man. What would you say the ratio Well, the interesting is? thing, um, Benitez, when he was coaching Liverpool, um, he was, this was the early days, and very few people were playing zonal. There were a couple. He was one of the early pioneers. He felt that zonal marking was way better on a corner. And <laughs> Liverpool had given up by five goals the most um, goals off of set pieces on corners and free kicks. And they kept asking him, they're like, and he insisted, no, it's better. The, the And he's like, yeah. you're giving up the most goals in the league. And he's like, no, it's better. <laughs> you know? um, and you're like, a good way to stick to your guns, but clearly it was not better. Right. Right. <laughs> so, so I laugh, you know, um, it's a coach who's, you know, thinking about it. I happen to think missed, thinking about it or or incorrectly thinking about it um because again zonal marking should be better you figure okay so one of the big problems in a defensive corner is that people get you know bodied off of it right and you would think okay zonal marking that doesn't happen you have a different guy the problem is twofold one no responsibility 
And whenever you have no responsibility, players tend to stand around and not go to the ball. If they're not going to be blamed for the being the guy who gave up the goal, they tend to be like, oh, I'm kind of just standing here. Yeah. The other thing that happens is even when you get them being aggressive going to the ball, two guys end up going for the ball. And a lot of times, you know, if they're two two defenders and one attacker, they're all tall, they're all fighting, they're okay. wrestling. None of them get a clean header, which is fine defensively. Yeah. But then sometimes it flicks through and the guy behind him is standing wide open. Yeah, I, I think I got to agree with you. I think, you know, man v. man creates accountability first and foremost. Everybody knows like the guy that they at least have to be somewhat near when the ball starts to arc down where you have to jump up and challenge for it, right? Because we've talked about this many times in the podcast. You aren't necessarily playing the man on the corner kick. You're playing the area that you're covering the man in terms of where the ball is going to come down, right? And so you have to get to the ball first on yeah. a corner kick or a free kick in the box. You can't mark the guy because even if you're marking the guy, he gets one little flick around you, yeah. a header so, or a toe. So and it by, goes in. by marking the man, we mean there's accountability to being in his space and try to challenge for the ball and, and or disrupt that player who, who might happen to get a step on you and be at an advantage of getting to it first. That's where you have to kind of bump them or make it a little more difficult for him to not have an absolute clear, uh, clear chance at, at the header and, and just make it real easy. Right. So it, uh, to your point, there's a lot of reasons why zonal just creates a, a bigger gap in, in where the ball can come, come down. Well, I would say everything in moderation, Mikey Dobbs. Um, and I think Tata Martino had a really practical view of this, which is, okay, let's, Man mark, but the problem if you straight man mark is sometimes somebody will get bumped off the ball and there's nobody there, right? So instead of straight man marking, you straight man mark everybody, but then you leave one and sometimes two free players, okay? That allows you to choose who the free player is, somebody who's not going to stand around in his own and never go after the ball. And for example, in Tata's system, it was always Joseph Martinez defending the near post. And Joseph Martinez really knows how to get to a ball, yeah. right? Whether it be offensively or in that case, defensively, he said, Joseph Martinez, anything that comes in the front, you better freaking get to it. And he's quick and he was great in the air. And anything that was short, nobody scored on us in the near post. Yeah. And that's the answer. The answer is not that Benitez was wrong, that Zonal is not better. Zone has huge advantage because you don't get the guy picked off. But if you don't have accountability, that's also a problem. So the answer is moderation, Mikey Dobbs. Why not have man-to-man uh, -man marking mostly across the bar? You take one or two of your best players who can really go after the ball, yeah. let them be free, and then it works. Yeah. I don't know. I... I... I may have seen some of that in the in the one of the corners because I felt like Moreno was definitely uh, free at the front post, and some of the some of there the was definitely a guy at the front post playing that role, but the guys in the middle were all zoning it too. Okay, um, but I didn't see that. At least I didn't make a note of it, and I didn't see it in in the first game under Pineda. And now you might say, look, he didn't have time to put it in yet, and now he has because he had the first game he didn't have any time to do anything. Um, now he had the full two-week break, and he had time to put it in, and maybe he's going with zone yeah. all the time. Or maybe the zone was just especially to match up because he knew with the team that we had, which was not a tall team, especially, you know, Barco, Moreno, um, 
Uh, Araujo is not small, but um, we had a number of smaller guys in the middle. Um, and so then that matching up across the board against Orlando, he might have thought, mm, we can't do it. How about that Araujo shot early on that rattled the uh, rattled the posts? I got a number for you, though, Mikey Dobbs. Three. Remember I said in the podcast, he's got a wicked left foot. It looks like he can score from there, and I would give him the green light. He's the one of the first players I've seen in a long time that might actually um, might justify playing inverted because to play inverted, the idea is that um, you play a left winger on the on the right side, and the idea is they can cut in and have a shot. The truth is very few people can even you know, trouble the goalkeeper from there. But Araujo looks like he can consistently trouble yeah. the keeper. He has got a heck of a left foot. I mean, that was a very classic messy inverted coming out from the right, cutting in with his left foot and just whipping a ball to the But close post. only counts in horseshoes and hanger aids, you know. So, yeah. you know, I said if he does that and he doesn't score three goals and he consistently takes that shot and we don't get the better chance from it, that's a loss long term. Yeah. So we'll see. If so far, two or three times he's either hit the bar post or missed by about an inch, but he hasn't scored it. Yeah, I'm with you. So there's a question is, is it just getting a little settled and he's going to start scoring that all the time? But he, if you look back at the stats, he didn't score that a lot for Lille either. Yeah. But he also provides a little bit of, you know, je ne sais quoi when it comes to Every oh, out of all the games he's played, there's been a moment where you're like, whoa! Oh, his his build, whoa. his running, his running. I mean, for, and his distribution. I mean, and his dribbling have been pure class. Couple transition I mean, crosses he had, and that little nutmeg where he rips the guy's jersey and throws him forward, and then nutmegs him <laughs> at the same time. He's like, whoop. See you later. Yeah. I mean, that was that was pure. It's the classic. You you nasty. very rarely see it. You know, defenders who are being really aggressive, it's so hard to get out from him. And he baited him into even being more and more aggressive. And then as the guy's stepping around him, he turns and he flicks it through his legs and he gives him a little shove and he's just like, bye-bye. Yeah. As he, uh, he kind of grabbed his jersey and uh -huh. even fouled him a little bit, but uh -huh. it was so good, no one's going to call him. Referee's <laughs> like, play on. <laughs> play on. <laughs> Exactly. Yeah, it was pure, pure class. Araujo. So, yeah, it's 2 nothing at this point. Uh, later on, this is after the Barco whipped in cross. It is Man, if goal. you're that good looking and you can do that, Mikey Dobbs, yeah, you got the world as <laughs> your oyster, right? So, yeah, you know, it's been a while since uh, I've been in an Atlanta United game where I'm just very uh, stress-free. It didn't feel like Orlando was going to come back in that game, even though, I, of course, 2 nothing. I'm still a little nervous because anything can happen, but I didn't feel it was coming. Uh, I felt like we continued to put the pressure on. We were having opportunities. And then Brooks Lennon bombs one kind of from the, the right side, right over the top, loops it over to Barco, who's making a run towards the top of the 18, and take it, take it from there, Dave. Well, Barco, solo, class. I mean, he's running, you know, from about 25 yards into the box, left to right. There's three defenders there. He fakes once, fakes twice, fakes a third time, goes by all three, and then just slots it in the corner. Uh. Yeah. 
And what I what I take away from that is well, first off, Lennon had a beautiful ball over the uh, over the top. Just played it deep. Saw the run from Barco. Yep. Uh, did it, and it was a beautiful run out of the midfield from Barco. He yeah. took off early. Gave him time to see it. Yeah, it was great. But yeah, Lennon put enough on it to get it over the defender's head. Which what I also take away is. is uh, Barco's first touch, he played it outside of the foot with his right foot. It wasn't even the cleanest, but it was just, it put everybody on their heels when he did that. When he cut it back across, three of the defenders who were back kind of just were on their heels at that point. And that's where he just kind of herky-jerkied across the top of the 18 and then just slotted it near post. I don't know if you recall, but a number of games ago, Pineda, and not sorry, Pineda, Valentino, um, the interim coach said that one of his solutions was to drop. It was mostly Moreno, but it was also uh, it was no, it was dropping Moreno back, and it was leaving Barco forward. And and this is when we ended up with Sadich, um on an island. Mm-hmm. Right, this was two games ago, his last game in charge. Right, and. Um, I said there is absolutely no problem with Barco tracking back. A, he's brilliant at it. B, he works super hard at it. And C, when he does that, he then has the fitness and the you know motor to just take off again. And this is what happened on that play. Barco came back, was deep, and then he took off again. And because he had took off from deep, you know, um, Lennon had 20 yards to see him take off and he had time to play a 50 yard ball over the top. Right. Um, whereas previously, you know, this is such a, the classic poor coaching. You say, Oh, you know, we want him to be, a uh, you want him to be a forward guy where he can take on players and score goals like he did. So we're going to make sure you stay up, stay up, stay up. And the problem is you stay up, you can't play that ball to him because as soon as he takes off, he's offside. As soon as you allow him to track back, he now has 20 yards to run, and now Lennon can play it, and he finally gets the goal that you want. So it's a false narrative as a coach to say, oh, you just have to stay up. Yeah. Right, especially for not all players, because certain players are better off that way. But a Barco doesn't need to; he can make that run. So, uh, our prediction, by the way, was correct that Moreno would play a false nine in the setup um, that that we had between the three Barco, Arujo, and Moreno, and it kind of worked out just like, kind of as I pictured, where Moreno would kind of drop back into the space a little bit, and then would go forward and, and attack when it was it was time. But, you know, not too much trying to play the striker role, but definitely trying to be the, the creative. Uh, it's point, funny point when we saw it, um, you know, my concern and our concern, I think we chatted about a little bit on the podcast, was that, you know, who's going to end up in the box? Who's going to be the one who's going to score? Um, and and we and I said you're going to learn whether or not the South Americans, Araujo, Barco, and Moreno are really class. Um and I was a little bit concerned about it initially, but they just kept popping up or whatever, and they showed such their class because yeah. um, it wasn't a problem in the end. Yeah, I mean, it was a problem that when we had people on the outside like Lennon, there was there were a couple times where they did have space out on the, the wings and got down into deeper spaces and looked up, and you know what they saw? Four or five Orlando players just standing in the box by themselves, and we had to pull it back, and we'd pull it back to the guys at class, and we did create some opportunities, but it, it's clearly um, was it was a major transition for 
like Lennon, who has kind of been trained to bomb down the right and, and cross these balls into Joseph, it just wasn't there at all on Friday. To his credit, I think Pineda, after the game, said he was concerned that they wouldn't have someone in the box well, playing sh- the they, false nine. Yeah, they didn't. <laughs> they definitely did not. The, anytime we had people down the wing for an early cross, there, there was no one in the box. But the question, you know, so you, so I think a lesser coach would have panicked at that and would have had uh, Kubo Torres or something. And, and my, you know, I would say, okay, you know, that gives you someone in the box. But if you put the guy who you put in the box can't score, why do you need him anyway? Yeah. So you might as well take the chance that there's not going to be the guy in the box. Let the yeah. classy players play, right? Which is what he did. So Amen. bravo, Pineda. Amen. For having the guts, the temerity, if you will, yeah. to do it. Yeah, and I felt like Orlando really played pretty lackluster, right? I mean, well, Nani was was probably their best player of the day, and he never seemed to really find the magic. Even though you know he's he's class, he was the one every time he got the ball, you have to be worried about. But uh, outside of that, there really wasn't much Orlando did at all. Even DK and they they subbed in Mueller, the young kid who evidently is getting um, transferred. I heard. Oh, that's why he was. I, I want to say he's going to a Scottish league team, from what I heard. Mm-hmm. Which I don't know. That's the right move for him. Yeah, I I, I kind of feel bad for him. Yeah, he's young and and hot. You he's know, young like, and hot, and I just feel like that's the wrong move for him. Yeah, I'm not sure. I, um, yeah, I, I was I was kind of a fan of his, particularly when he came in for the U.S. men's national team and, and played in some of the friendlies. I thought he looked uh, he looked sharp, but. Uh, he has zero goals and zero assists for Orlando this season. Can you believe that? After he had like a ton of goals in 2020. Yeah, he was good. So so now can we come full circle? Yeah. As the metaphor, the U.S. soccer metaphor, Bring what it. the problem been, is? It's been long and drawn out, Dave. Let's, let's get there. <laughs> <laughs> so first of all, I would say that um, so what? So what's the problem, right? In this system, there are, there are two problems, right? So so one is that um, who are the wingers, right? If you look at Atlanta United, where is the width coming from, right? So you know Araujo could provide width, of course, but he's playing inverted, so he's coming inside all the time. Barco is playing inverted; he's coming inside all the time. Bello clearly provides width as an outside overlapping, and Be- and Brooks Lennon could too, or Ronald Hernandez could too. So I think it could be okay if those guys are consistently cutting in and the backs are overlapping, as long as they're not doing the silly thing of just flying up and standing there. So, but if you look at the Atlanta United team, um. You have to say that we're not altogether different from the U.S. national team. Our super players are players who play slightly inside off the striker. We have Barco, Araujo, Moreno. The U.S. has Gio, Reyna, Pulisic, um, you know, those players, maybe Weston McKinney, right? None of those guys, none of those six players, all of whom are class players, none of them go wide. So... If you have those players, you have to have a system to open it up. You know, Tata realized this, right? Al Marone was the guy in that system, right? And he had outside backs to create it, right? And we do have in Atlanta United, 
we have the outside backs to do it. Um, you know, Bello and, you know, Brooks Lennon or even Ronald Hernandez are designed to get forward and back. The U.S. national team, um, is Bello good enough at this point to play in a back four, defend, and still get forward? Maybe in the MLS, yeah. In the World Cup, maybe not so much. Um, at least not yet. I'm not sure. Um, I'm not even sure that he's the starter, um, same thing on the right side, you know, you got Sergio Dest. Now, Sergio Dest is clearly class enough to do both. He can do it at Barcelona. He can get up, he can go down. But, yeah. you know, the moment he went down, um, where's, where's, you know, where are you going? You know, the yeah. answer was Tyler Adams at right back, right? Yeah. Um, so I think we have a bit of the same problem. We have three players who you really want to have on the ball right beneath the striker, and, uh, and um, not necessarily classic wingers. Yeah. So you either have to play a system with wingers um, or you have to figure out a way um, to get those guys open. Now, um, Atlanta United, my problem with it is, um, okay, you know, we did the math last week, right? And if you play the Fab Four up top, you know, that's Martinez, Barco, Araujo, and Moreno, right, all of whom can interchange, can cause havoc, right, then the problem becomes you can't play five in the back because if you play five in the back, you leave one on an island. That's the math, you yeah. know. And the U.S. national team did that too, right? They played five in the back. They played the four attacking players with the middle, whatever, and they left sands of all people on an island, which is an absolute atrocity. You can't do that on the road, even against Honduras, if you think we're the better team. You just can't do it. Can I can I cut to it? Yeah. If we don't start with four in the back on Wednesday night, is Gonzalo Pineda missing missing the script? I have to say, you know, so So, we play five. Sosa's out because he's on a suspension from accumulation of yellow cards, which is which is the key reason I say is Gonzalo Pineda missing the script if he play doesn't play four in the back. Well, so what I was going to say, so first of all, Sosa is a special player and allows you to do so much because he can do so much. And to be honest with you, Tyler Adams is a special player and he can do that. So if we were to play Sosa at right back, like he played Tyler Adams, you'd be like, you're out of your mind, right? Because those guys, you need it to make it happen. That being said, you still struggle. You can't leave even Sosa or Tyler Adams completely on an island by themselves. They need at least one player helping. That means if you're going to play four players who are attacking up front, like the U.S. wants to do and Atlanta United wants to do, then you got to play four in the back. And so it was shambolic what they did um, in Honduras. I don't think it's as shambolic what... Pineda did against Orlando because he didn't play the four fab four up top, right? He only played, keep in mind, three of them up top. Yeah. He didn't have Martinez available, right. so he didn't play him, right? So we did have Sosa and he did have Josetu next yeah. to him. So even though we had five in the back, he didn't leave Sosa on an island. And, um, and I also felt like Sosa was playing higher up than we've ever seen him in that game. I don't know if you noticed that. He was terrific, as usual. Yeah, as but usual. My, my, my point being that Pineda being the better coach than Burhalter, you know, I think realizes that. And so now, when Martinez is back, 
if he plays Martinez and sticks with five you're, in the you're back. You're already going to give, after two games as a head coach, you're already going to give uh, the crown to Pineda over Burrholder. Well, the if the that's bar not is a, pretty if low. If that's not a dig on Burrholder, <laughs> yeah. man, jeez. The bar is pretty <laughs> low. Um, you know, so, so I would say if he plays the Fab Four up top and he continues with five in the back, then you got a problem. Yeah. If he plays with five in the back and he doesn't play all four of the Fab Four, okay, then you're okay. Then you can still do it. Yeah. Okay. Um, and but I still think the problem. But why wouldn't you play the Fab Four? I think we should play That's, the Fab. Got to play the Fab Four. So you know, it, in my opinion, this has to be a four-two-three-one setup. That's, okay. That's what I would go with. Which is almost what I have, but yeah. Yeah, I mean, call, call it what you want in the yeah. middle when you start throwing those things around. Right. So uh, the answer is, so Ronald Hernandez in a back four is perfectly fine. The question is whether Bello is good enough defensively in a four. I think he is. I think... He's got to be committed to it. He can't be flying forward and just staying up there. Well, he, he, he can't because he's got, he's got the fab four up there. You know, he's, he can't go, can't go over, over Barco up there on the on the forward position who's going to be out there on the left so right? i think the answer is tata had is you know you have those guys interchanging then you have the outside backs yeah. going but you only have one at a time you know overlapping the other guy stays at home you have a defensive midfielder in this case sosa he had a defensive midfielder originally in carlos carmona and later in remedy sitting covering the back four so that if ronald hernandez goes bombing down the right side and if Miles Robin has to go in behind him to, to cover that because we lose the ball, then you have Sosa dropping in and it all works. Now, it doesn't work without Sosa. And that's a problem with Pineda. And you might argue that, okay, maybe the solution and you don't have Sosa is to play five in the back. You know, we got Mo Adams back, though. You could play Mo Adams, but is Mo Adams good enough? Um, I would say Mo Adams you know, is the right I, replacement, but he's going to need help. Yeah. I, I think, you know, clearly not as good. As Although Cincinnati. it is only Cincinnati. It's only Cincinnati. <laughs> and it is at home. Joseto is looking good up in front. So you would play Mo Adams and Joseto as yeah, the defense. Exactly. As the and then you got Hernandez, Miles, Alan Franco, and Bello in the back. Joseto, mm-hmm. Mo. And then you've got. I heard Sadich was actually injured because you might say Sadich is a little better defensively than Joseto. Yeah. And you might say the answer well, if you have Mo Adams is to play Sadich next to him. Yeah, I wouldn't mind Joseto and and Sadich and and, Mo, uh, and either Mo Adams and or Joseto. You know, any combination of those three actually would be I'd be okay with. Um, again, the other problem I have with the five that you saw against Orlando. And my other problem with the system the other night is that you end up with Mulraney and Lennon ended up outside on an island by themselves, you know, going at the players. And maybe Mulraney can do it, but he's not trying to anymore. And Lennon can't do it. And so my worry is why not play? I mean, it seems weird, but if you play four in the back and you have Araujo and Barco kind of cutting in or whatever, and now the fourth guy is overlapping instead of being a true winger, now you create a 2v1, and I think it's way better. Yeah. The, the other option is to stick with the same formation and, and keep Joseph on the bench until he takes those earrings out. <laughs> I don't know if you've seen his new earring set up, but, oh, dude, you gotta you got to cut that. Tell us about it. I, I Well, just... A bunch, a bunch of earrings on his left left 
ear that look ridiculous. It's like uh, who is who is the young kid from uh, that forgot his passport? Uh, <laughs> um, yeah, he used to chew gum all the time. Andrew Carlton. Carlton. I'm like you know I'm a little worried about Joseph and a little bit like uh, you know I don't mind a little bit of the do the hair and do some of the things, but I don't know. The other thing I have to say is that, you know, Pineda to his credit, you know, he went with five in the back against Orlando and he didn't have miles Robinson. So if you're going to have a four in the back, those, the, the center two guys have to be able to handle somebody almost one-on-one. And of course, Robinson, you can just count on it. Um, and he'll have Robinson back on Wednesday. So you might've said he played five because he, he didn't have Robinson. He wasn't playing Martinez. That made some sense. Yeah. But now with Robinson back and trying to incorporate Martinez, presumably the answer surely is to go back to four in the back. Love that idea. I think that's the way to go. I think we'll play phenomenal if we do that. Yeah, and the worry is always, again, all you need is enough outside with presence to make sure that they cannot come in and triple and double team Barco, Araujo, and Moreno. If those guys are in space because somebody's out wide and you have to honor it, forget it. Nobody in the MLS can handle Barco, Araujo, Moreno running at them with Martinez scoring goals. I think what happens naturally when you have four in the back and you've got the talented inverter wingers above Mm -hmm. like Barco and Araujo is that you get more strategic runs from Ronald Hernandez or Bello in that case when it's time to overlap. Yep. And in fact, you see great interchange between like a Barco and, and Bello. They actually play really well together off of that exchange. You saw it at the end of the game against Orlando where Barco slots in Bello, who's making a, a bombing run around the outside and, and, and Barco is sharp enough to put a beautiful little slotted pass in. Like that's what can happen more frequently it, with four in the back, in my opinion, is is Bellows only doing that at the right times instead of just doing it for no reason. As you know, I'm not a big fan of inverted wingers, but because the idea, again, is that they cut in and have a shot, and I think the, the number of times I've seen a guy cut in and have a shot and actually score is so minimal, it's not worth it. But two things. Araujo has one of the best left foots I've ever yeah. seen and maybe he can do that I don't know the jury is still out and Barco has got the class to do it from the other well, side well Barco is not what I would say I agree with you completely but he's not really an inverted winger he's an inverted runner which is a little different so he's yeah. coming inside making the runs and that's fine yeah uh, so I'm okay with it and particularly if Ronald Hernandez and I would say you gotta go with Ronald Hernandez because defensively he's a little better but we'll see. But Brooks Lennon might be okay, good enough. Um, obviously, Bello is really the only answer on the left side. And I would be okay with it as long as they are taking their moments and not just flying up the field. So I would say if we go back to the four in the back, we would not be technically naive as long as people are you know, taking their moments. What do you think of the new Atlanta United cap? I got here at the game the other night. Sex, new, new trucker hat. I got one word for you, Mikey Dobbs. Yeah. Sexy. Thank you. That's what Leah said, too. She's like, oh, my God, look at that trucker. Uh-oh. Look at that trucker hat. <laughs> so do you want to go into some uh, player grades? Like, uh, th- you know, throughout, the, let's call it the last. So we've won five out of the six 
games we've had, last six games, five out of six, knock on wood. We have two more home games. We've got a game on Wednesday, which I'm going to, really excited, back at the Benz. And then we get we play uh, DC United, am I right? As yes. The, the game on Friday or over the weekend. So our schedule um, is really nice. So we play all of the teams that are, we're in the battle with, like DC United, you know, or sort of at the playoff line once, right? A number of them we play at home, which is an advantage. We play the two bottom teams in the league, Toronto and Cincinnati, each twice, home and away. But they're the terror. I mean, they're really awful. Yeah. And the second game is really late in the season when they have a will have absolutely nothing yeah. to play Philadelphia for. Philadelphia is like the only decent team we have in the next five games. We don't have anybody in the top three remaining on our schedule, period. Um, Philadelphia, I think, is fourth, maybe. Mm-hmm. Um, they're the top best team we have remaining. So it's it's shaping up well. This is a team that could win, you know, could go 10-2 and two or, you know, 10-1-1 one and one or something like that. It but, could I mean, happen. Th- but this is it, though. I mean... The next two home games are, are the telltale, right? Well, you got to figure if we're going to be legit, we're going to absolutely annihilate Cincinnati at home. I think so, too. We have to annihilate Cincinnati. Um, really, the only player that I think is unavailable that we would want is Sosa. Am I wrong? Yeah. I mean, we didn't... I, I don't, um the yellow card. So for those of you out there, he received a yellow card and he's now in yellow card jeopardy land, which means that he has to sit out a game. Yeah. I, I forget what, how the math works, but it's like after your eighth yellow card, you have to sit out a game after your like 10th, you have to sit out a game after your 11th. It was amazing that he just, you know, again, our frustration with uh, Atlanta United continues over the injuries because we were hearing, you know, the word out was that he was out for a month, maybe mo- mm-hmm. months, and all of a sudden he's in the starting lineup. Boom, there he is. Right? So, you know, now that you would say that's what they're trying to do with this whole thing. They don't want to tell anybody because that's their advantage. But, like, come on. Is it really? It's not an advantage. It's not really it's an advantage. Special. I agree with you. I no. think it's just BS. But anyway, so we finally get him back, and now he gets his – Yellow card. You might argue, well, if he's one game back and it was a hamstring before, it might not be the worst thing to actually have a day game off where he, you know, rested again and so that long term he's ready to go. But the question becomes, what do you what do you play in this place? And I would argue that look, of all the teams that we, you know, we should be able to beat Cincinnati at home um, without Sosa, with the team we have. So I think we're standing on 30 points. Yep. We're um, tied at the playoff line, but we're technically below it on, I don't know. So we're in eighth place, 30 points. I forgot Montreal got the one point. At the end of the weekend, we yeah. could and should have 36 points, which would put us where in the table? Potentially. Certainly above the playoff Potentially line. in fifth, if not sixth. Mm-hmm. Right? Mm-hmm. Um. And then, and then again on a really good perch outside of Philadelphia Union to make another big advance. Yeah, no, and, I mean, and and to me, like this, there's almost no excuse for us not to make this push right now. Not at and, all. And if we don't, then there's there's bigger problems. Right. If like, the, then... I, I I don't I won't be betting on Atlanta United making any sort of run in the playoffs if 
we don't get the six points here. It, now, we haven't talked know. about the playoff structure, and this is a potential problem. So the playoff structure, which they've changed, which I hate now, it's all one-off. It's home based on who's the higher seed, and it's a one-game format. So my worry is you get up above the line or whatever, and we could be the best team in the whole league by the time we enter the playoffs, but you steal your chances of going on the road and one-off and winning the whole thing is low. Right, and the good news, though, is like, look at this. Like, uh, Orlando's got 38, right? So my point is, is if Mm -hmm. we end up at the end of this weekend with 36 points, there's still a lot of games left for us to get up into that home field advantage. We could certainly get to third or fourth, you know, but I don't think we're getting, we're certainly not catching New England. No, no one's catching New England. New England is such a, a runaway leader. Um, I, don't, I think Nashville's a little fake, so I feel like they could run into some trouble. They're very good defensively. They're they're, they're Nashville. I, I just I I watch them play. They're not great. Like they have eleven ties. Yeah, eleven ties. It's like kissing <laughs> your sister. I don't know why we say that here in the United States, like Ted Lasso says, but yeah, lots of ties. But that's because they. I mean, Walker Zimmerman is terrific, and they're terrific defense. Um, they made us look silly. Um, how many matches do we have left this year? Well, we've played 23. Got to go to Atlanta United to make this, uh, this happen. Um, here's your trivia question. How many games are there in a season? Ooh, do you know the answer? I do know the answer. All right. What is it? It's 34. Okay. So we've played 23. We have to play 34. Can you do it? Mikey Dobbs. Yeah, I'm going to let you do it as I'm looking. I'm, that's, I'm that's 11. It's 11, 11 <laughs> left. Um, all right. so Should we, be 11 left. I haven't counted them all on the schedule, but there should be 11 left because yeah. we have to play 34. Cincinnati, D.C., Philly, Inter-Miami, and Montreal. Outside of Philly. Come on, we got to. And then, and then Toronto and New York City. I mean, our schedule if we, yeah, we, we we need some home field advantage. Looking at this. Schedule. Well, the only teams that are good remaining on our schedule that are even remotely like we can't blow away is Philadelphia and New York City. Mm-hmm. New York City is impossible to beat in New York City because they have that tiny little bandbox, but we're playing here. Philadelphia is the only one of those games that we play on the road. And so that would be our biggest, toughest game remaining is going to Philadelphia. And we would argue that every single other game is winnable. Yeah. Every single other game. Yeah. I, I, and I, I am, I look at this and I expect wins across the board. Yeah. You might say Montreal is a difficult thing because it's far. Yeah. And it's a harder road trip, but it's true. Um, you know, and they they can kind of show up on any given day. They're Montreal. a good team. They're at the line, right? They've, they've they're got above lots us of talent. At the moment, right? Yeah, they're above the line, and they be, have something be, to fight for. Watch out for Bjorn Johnson. He's <laughs> uh, I don't I haven't seen him start lately, but uh, could, yeah, this is their your friend's. Yeah, son, our right? neighbor's son plays for uh, for Montreal. He's, he uh, was one of the highest transfers uh, this this off season. So like a million dollar transfer into the MLS. So he's not not yeah. A bad player. Solid. Um, what else do we want to talk about, Dave? We want to talk about dislocated ankles in the EPL. Uh, do we want to talk about Almiron, uh, who, if you wonder why we won the MLS Cup in 2018, people, go watch the highlights of uh, 
Manchester New- United versus Newcastle. Newcastle which I'm Manchester sure- United leading one nothing. Newcastle still absolutely parking the bar- bus. They have the goalkeeper plus two banks of... I mean, it almost was like two banks of five. Yeah. But maybe they let Almiron go forward. And Almiron goes running forward. He gets the ball. You know, uh, Manchester United's had 65 or 68% possession. He gets yeah. the ball just outside of his box. He turns it with his left foot and just puts an amazing turn on a guy. Puts an off. amazing turn to get out of it. Then he's running at the guy. He makes a move past Maguire. He jumps Hurdles. over him Hurdles as he slides. <laughs> he runs the entire length of the field, and then he did, drops it off for like yeah, the most obvious goal. Lays it right across to the top of the 18 to, yeah. to uh, St. Maximum, who, Maximum, who does yeah. a little touch to another guy and slots in the corner. But, it, you know, that that's it was like a one-man show. One-man show. And, uh, you know, even the commentators are saying, like, uh, Newcastle's uh, complete game in terms of transition was all Miguel Almiron. No, so, granted, it was worth nothing because Manchester yeah, United yeah. subsequently scored three more goals and they lost 4-1. to one. And that's the thing. He's been a waste at Newcastle because yeah, he has no support and attack. He has nobody to open to whatever. He's getting triple teamed every time he has the ball. I yeah. mean, it's horrible. Steve Bruce is about to completely <laughs> throw in the towel. He's he's got ownership that's not supposed to be better, Ted Lasso or Steve Bruce. Oh, that's a tough one. I mean the Bruce Bruce he's been around forever trying to get teams uh, out of the relegation zone, so I don't know. We have a little fondness in our heart because Bruce was of course a Man United player. That's right. Mm-hmm. Pallister and Bruce in the back. They would just kick the living daylights out of you. If they had playing against Al Marone, they would say, okay, when he's standing by himself, kick him. When he has the ball, kick him. When he's on a corner kick, punch him. Right? <laughs> That's how they played defense. Um, so, yeah, I mean, Al around. Premier League, though, this year is uh, really setting up to be pretty damn entertaining. I mean, there's a lot. Oh, yeah, it's wide open. I mean, the, the four that you would expect to be at the top are... All, okay, so all you kind got of like fri- all frightening teams. The top team is Man United. The second best team is probably Man Chelsea. United. Chelsea. The third best team is Man. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I'm just kidding. Yeah. I'm just well, kidding, dear hey. podcast listener. Well, with Cristiano Ronaldo. Cristiano Ronaldo showed showed us his stuff. Now, do you so do you have you know any comments about my uh, theory on uh, Araujo and Miss Brazil? You know, I've have you thought about it. I have thought about it. I actually was talking uh, to, to Leah and the girls upstairs about it earlier, and they were kind of nodding a little bit. They're like, yeah, <laughs> Miss Brazil just might want out of a town where there's no. no uh, we haven't no had happens. anybody tweet at us about yeah. going out in Lille, have they? The, the thing is, though, I just think that Miss Brazil has a lot more pool in terms of picking her city, and I don't think Atlanta is her number one choice. Hey, the, the ATL. The ATL. <laughs> this is not a knock on Atlanta us or anyone. I've I've grown up here my whole life, podcast listeners. But this is the home of hip hop. This is this uh, the Real Housewives of the ATL. Okay. I mean, come on. All right. 
We, we, do. we are there. The cuisine in Atlanta, though, I will say, has really bumped up the last decade. And the movie Fine. industry and in the Atlanta movie industry. has been terrific. So maybe so, she's going to appear in some movies. That could, you know, that could be something. Maybe she's too. the next Jaja Gabor. Jaja Gabor. <laughs> <laughs> Was she Brazilian? I don't think so. But she's somewhere from South America. Not sure. All right. Um, yeah. We have one more thing to talk about. What's that? Our bet on how terrible Leeds is going to be. Leeds United. Right. You want to take your bet back? Um, I'm tr- You had Leeds over Tottenham. Now, granted, Tottenham. Oh, was, I definitely. I know. Not, oh, def- <laughs> definitely not. Uh, they got annihilated by Liverpool. Leeds oh, did. Liverpool is all class. So come on. Liverpool sure. is. Uh, and. and Again, give credit to Leeds. I mean, talk about bringing entertaining football to the fans. <laughs> but yeah. entertaining football when you get annihilated, it's not so great. And credit to Bielsa, like he or didn't change you, a thing. He's just like, let's go at them, even though they're going to give up three goals. Exactly. And you know who <laughs> You know who doesn't do that? Who? The Spurs and Harry Kane. It's so Spursy. Oh, so Spursy. I mean, they lost three nil to Crystal Palace, so my bet's not looking so good either. But ex- exactly, that's what I was about to say. Is they lost two nothing to Crystal Palace, and Zaha is looking great again. And uh, three nil, I believe. Was it three nil? Okay, yeah. I mean, okay. I no, I th- I think that uh, yeah, even my old uh, coach Nuno. We'll have to make it our uh, our weekly update on who's more likely to win the bet. So if you're out there and you have an opinion, you can tweet at us, ATL on fire. Leeds still has it, I'm telling you. They've got, I mean, Leeds has got. I just got three words for you, Mikey Dobbs. It's so spicy. (laughs) (laughs) And so that, that for all you podcast listeners who have been following us, means that um, even though Spurs has a terrific team, they'll probably do something shambolic. And then they'll probably be leading Leeds by uh, 10 points um, with four games to go. And they'll blow it. And I'll owe Mikey Dobbs a bottle of wine. So you heard it here first. There's just something off in terms of the whole Harry Kane drama going into the season. That just is a bad omen for Tottenham to begin with. And they're talking about still... The possibility that he's going to be transferred in the winter. I mean, which would be nuts. I don't buy that at all. Daniel Levy, if he didn't take the $120 million before the year, and you build a team around him, why would you do it in the winter? That makes no sense. No no sense at all. Even that is not going to... Even it's so Spurs, he can't can't do that. So we've talked about most of everything. Not all the things, but most of the things. Not all. Have we talked about it all? It seemed like we okay, talked, we about, talked it about it all. So Wednesday night, Cincinnati, seven PM. Everybody tune in. Is it even possible to watch on TV for those of us who can't know. get to the game? Luckily, I've got all of our tickets <laughs> and bringing a big crew. Just so you know, my, uh, dear podcast listeners, Mikey Dobbs took all the tickets, so I can't go. And now I'm stuck with you know probably his Fubo code, and <laughs> I'm gonna see the spinning wheel. I'm I'm uh, I'm behind on my Ted Lasso. By the way, How, have you, are you caught? Don't up? worry, it's gonna be it's gonna be on Bally's. It's gonna be fine. Yeah, I get Bally's. Yeah. Just get the app, download it. I got the oh, app. It's, it's fine. Well, 
I don't know. I'm pretty optimistic about Atlanta United, but I'm also my expectations are especially staring at the schedule that we're staring at right now. And the talent that I see on the field for Atlanta United, we really need to make a hell of a run here. Uh, that yeah, credit Bocanegra and Eels. They have really done a job rebuilding this squad. I, I agree. Um, and we can't say this time. I mean, we were talking about, you know, initially whether it was Tata or whether it was Bocanegra and Eels. And we kind of concluded that it was a little bit Tata. Um, and all the things that he did, and maybe not Bocanegra and Eels, but this has been their show, and the initial show was not a phenomenal show. <laughs> we kept buying these lousy players, but, um, you know, lately we've been, you know, money. Yeah, knock on wood, all the guys are healthy, stay yeah. healthy, let's, uh, let's get some wins, Atlanta United, and if you have not subscribed to ATL on Fire, do so. Do it. We're on YouTube. I'm going to post this video and my glorious uh, Arsenal uh, jersey here. And my brand new five-stripe Robinson jersey that I got despite the fact that MLS.com sent me a Philadelphia (laughs) Union jersey by accident. Oh, man. All right, everybody. Thank you for listening. This is ATL on Fire. See ya. Have a good night.